You're listening to Blackpool Church Podcast. Join us for our Sunday gatherings to make friends, explore faith and encounter God. Visit our website, blackpool.church. This is the Talk Archive. Chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take home Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. Do you know what? I love carpentry. I was considering renaming my carpentry warehouse. For ages, it's been just Joseph's. Joseph's carpentry. But I'm wondering whether to have Joseph and Son's carpentry. See, I've come from a family line of people who for generations and generations have observed the law, the law of God. See, in the law, there's such a set way of how things should be done. See, I learned carpentry from my dad, and he learned carpentry from his dad. And we've always, throughout Nazareth, we've been known as the carpentry people. If something's made of wood, I can guarantee you, we've built it. We even once got asked to build a stable. Can you believe it? That was a big job. We had to get some other guys in to do that. But everything made out of wood, we can make it for you. Don't worry about it. You see, and what I love about carpentry is that I get a glimpse of what it's like to be the creator. 
I take something and I craft it and I shape it. And sometimes it doesn't quite go the shape that I want it to be. Sometimes there's an imperfection. Sometimes something's not quite the right shape. But gradually and steadily, I get to use my tools, my sandpaper, my files, my chisels, and gradually shape the wood exactly how it should be. I love carpentry. And I had these dreams that one day I might be a dad. You see, I'd met this amazing woman called Mary. She was everything that I'd ever wished for. And as I said, we observe the Jewish law. So it's absolutely the way things are done, that we'd get married and then we'd have loads of children. Jewish families are big. And that's the expectation. I've already had my mum nagging me. Oh, you better give us some grandchildren one day. And then this thing happened. This bizarre sequence of events. Well, firstly, Mary had this dream that she was, that she was pregnant. And we thought, like, I'm no biologist, but I know that that isn't possible, right? Well, it shouldn't be possible. Or if it is possible, it's not mine. And that's also not cool in Jewish tradition. But not just that, then I had this weird dream too. You know, up to that point, I kind of wondered, is Mary like, is she making excuses? Is she like hallucinating? Is she eating something odd? Then I had this dream as well. And this figure, this, we might call it an angel, I don't even know what it was, appeared to me and told me that, that, we, that we were going to have a baby as well and it was going to be God's son. And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, how is this going to play out? How do I go about telling my family who have all these expectations on me as to what I should be and what my life should become that actually my girlfriend, who I'm not yet married to, is pregnant with a baby that isn't biologically mine? In our culture, in our family, that doesn't play out well. But you know what the strangest thing is? I've got this complete assurance that it's going to be okay. This complete assurance that it's going to be okay. There's something about the way that that angelic figure spoke to me. Say it's going to be okay. Now, I don't yet know when we're going to have this baby. I don't yet know what he's going to grow up to become. But I am confident that God's got his hand on his life. The Christmas story is one that I've read many, many times before. It's one I've acted out as various parts in various nativities. And these days, when I read it, I sometimes like to put myself, or see if I can put myself, in Joseph's position. 
Now, I've got no idea if Joseph actually used sandpaper. I don't know. He probably didn't. He's probably way more advanced than me. I don't know exactly the details of his life. But I think when we take a moment to enter into the story, we start to see it less as a fairy tale and more of a real gritty life experience. And I, you know, I don't want to do loads this morning. I'm not going to speak to you for hours and hours and hours. Don't panic. We're not going to go through loads of academic points. Don't panic. We're not going to busy your minds at an already busy time of year. I suppose I just want to share two observations of this story that have landed profoundly with me and my family and our experience that I hope will be helpful to some, if not all of us here today. The first is this, and I'm aware this isn't a topic that we often talk about in church, but I just felt this morning it was, uh, it's timely to be able to mention it. You see, often when we read the Christmas story at face value and don't enter in, particularly if we read it from a non-biblical nativity script, we can get this idea that, we, that there's this kind of idyllic view of pregnancy, that somehow this miraculous thing just landed with Mary and they quite comfortably kind of travelled on this little donkey uh, all the way to Bethlehem and they made a kind of cosy space in a stable and out popped Jesus and other people gathered around and brought gifts and it was this kind of lovely idyllic picture. But actually, I think it's way more complicated than that. See, as we heard from Joseph, in Jewish custom, there was a very clear trajectory of how pregnancy and um, family should play out. And, you know, I don't think it's any accident that when God chose to bring Jesus into the world, it didn't follow that formula. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that God kind of was thinking, oh, I need to pick a married couple and accidentally pick Mary. And, oh my goodness, they're not married yet. That was a bit of an error. Oh, I better sort that out quickly and you know, we'll pretend it never happened. I don't think that's the case. I also don't think that God is undermining what marriage is. But what I think the significance of this part of the story is is to say, you know, if your experience isn't the picture book, I meet the perfect person and then we date for a little bit and then we get married and then we have, try and have a child and it just miraculously happens. Like if that isn't your experience, you're in good company, right? Because that wasn't Mary and Joseph's experience and that's not been my experience. Some of you will know um, that we have two kids. Noah's in there playing with his cars, toys at the minute, and Ava's out in the group. Now, our children are both IVF babies because we had an extremely difficult uh, journey to be able to have children. And do you know what for us was one of the most difficult places to come to terms with that in? The church. I, can, I lost count of the amount of times after we got married when people were saying to us, oh, you'll be, the, you'll be next. When's it your turn? 
oh, you must be getting, you know, look at those little babies. And I remember for years, we used to think, like, do you know, we, we are trying. Like, yes, we would love that. But it's not that straightforward. And for some people, it just doesn't happen. Or maybe for you, actually, it's a longing to even marry or find someone or be together with someone that for you is just not happening and you see everyone around you finding someone and you're like why can't that be me and I think what this part of the Christmas story shows us is that when God looks round and says I want to enter into the reality of my people and their life He chooses a girl who is only really just old enough to have a child, who isn't yet married, who ends up as a refugee on the run from an evil king and ends up running, fleeing with her young baby to Egypt. That's how he chose to enter in because he sees people who live the untrodden path and he says, do you know what? You're significant. Do you know what? I can dwell with you as well. The other thing that I think it just highlights, and I can, I suppose, relate to some degree with Joseph's perspective, is actually the the kind of passive nature um, of being a dad in the whole process. I have a very vivid memory for those of you that work in the NHS. Um, you might be able to, uh, you'd be more familiar with this maybe even than I am. But I can still distinctly remember once we'd had Ava, um, and I say we'd had a, a, a number of um, pregnancies that hadn't gone well. We'd had, um, Amy had had some surgery that left it kind of biologically impossible, really, for us to, um, we thought at least, to have any children ever. And then Ava arrives, and uh, I nearly pass out in the hospital because I'm not very good with hospital things generally. So I'm already feeling green. And then they, they wrap this baby up in a towel and pass her to me. And I get to hold her for about 20 minutes in the little recovery room um, while the, the midwives were seeing to Amy. And then someone else who'd just been in theatre came in, uh, in a bed, and this midwife said, oh, you, you can't be here now. I'll take the baby from you, and you need to go. So where do you want me to go? He said, oh, we'll call you when you can come back. So I distinctly remember just wandering around Lancaster, literally just wandering down the street going like, we've literally just had a baby. I've held it for 20 minutes. And now, I do, like, what do I do? Just go to Sainsbury's and get a drink? Like, and I don't know when I'm going to see this child again. And I remember feeling so completely and utterly helpless. You know, and the world tells us, don't we, that we've got to be in control, particularly for men. I think, like, you've got to be the, you've got to be the man, you've got to be the boss, you've got to be the guy, you've got to know. And I can still remember just appreciating how delicate and seemingly helpless I was, how delicate and seemingly helpless this baby was. And praying to God, God, you, I know you are holding this in your hand. Somehow, somewhere, you're going to come through and this is going to be good, I'm sure, and it has been. But I distinctly remember 
the fragility, how fragile that whole situation felt. And I'm sure Joseph felt the same. You see, when God chose to enter into our reality, as we heard in us in our reading, as the prophecies were fulfilled, this story that Joseph would have been aware of from his childhood and his parents' childhood, this promise being passed down from generation to generation to generation as they read some of the prophecies of uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos and others who were saying, like, there's this king and he's going to come and he's going to save us. There's this promise, and it sounds so grand, doesn't it? It sounds so grand, so spectacular, so firm, so decisive. And yet the promise arrives in the fragility of a baby. And I think there's something that we can take from that, that in our own fragility, in the own areas of our lives where we feel lost, where we feel like God's forgotten us, where we feel like things are so delicate and hanging on a knife edge when we've got three pounds left in our current account and we don't know how we're going to pay for things. When our health is in a position where doctors are not able to give us an answer as to what's wrong, but we know something's wrong. When we're in a position where we're facing complete despair, maybe we're in a position where we feel like, I can't leave the house because of anxiety and I don't even know why. God says, you know what, I can meet you in that moment. The fragile nature of Jesus' birth, for me, is the evidence that he's willing to meet us in the fragile areas of our life, should we let him. The second thing that I wanted to say is that even when we don't understand even when we don't understand, we can be assured of his presence with us. See, I think sometimes we also, and the Christmas story can maybe paint this illusion as well, sometimes we also fall under this idea that we have some kind of right for the world to treat us really fairly, that we're almost entitled to things going our way. So then when stuff doesn't go our way, it's like... Oh, I thought I, I thought I deserved this. I know that was true for our story. And that was a really difficult thing for us to come to terms with, saying like, you know, we felt like we were entitled to a child. And then when we couldn't have one, it felt like, oh my goodness, this is so unfair. And it can be difficult for us to hear that actually there are, there are some things that absolutely God promises to us. But you know, a pain-free life, carefree life of richness and plenty in every area, sadly, is not one of them. It'd be lovely if it was, wouldn't it? That's not what he promises us. But you know what he does promise us? He promises us his presence with us. God with us. Emmanuel. You see, and to understand this, one of the most helpful pictures that I've ever seen is if you imagine a Rubik's Cube. Are we all familiar with a Rubik's Cube? It's this cube with lots of different squares that all have different colours on. 
And actually, when you get a Rubik's Cube, um, all the colours kind of match. So you'd have one side where it's all red, one side where it's all yellow, one side where it's all green, and it looks brilliant. It's sort of solid colours. And actually, at the beginning, you know, that's how God created the world to be. That's how God created the world to be. It all matched. It was all made beautifully in his image. And then he made us. You know, he didn't want us to simply observe. He didn't want us to sit and just look at this Rubik's Cube and go, oh, that's nice. He invited us to come and play. He invited us to come and play and allowed us to start to make our own decisions and allowed the world to start to breathe and live and life to happen. And actually as stuff then starts to go on and the world starts to live and we start to live and make decisions, there's a distortion that happens. The Rubik's Cube starts to twist. And it's still kind of recognisable in places, but it's not quite as it should be. The church sometimes refers to this as like sin. The stuff that separates us from God and this distortion starts to happen. And what we read about in the Bible through the Old Testament, the bit before Jesus' life, is the way that the world has started and the people in the world have started to distort this Rubik's Cube by going their own way. And everyone's twisting it in their own direction, thinking that they know how they can best solve it. And these prophecies that we've heard referred to of a saviour, that's God's promise that, do you know what? One day, it's going to be resolved. And the people, Joseph's family, his grandparents, his great-grandparents, are longing for the day. The Saviour's going to come and he's going to sort it out. And do you know what happens at Jesus' birth? That's the point where the distorted Rubik's Cube that's all messed up with all the colours all over the place is handed to the person who knows how to solve it. Now, I can't solve a Rubik's Cube. I'm absolutely hopeless. I know there are possibly people in this room that can, and I know some people can do it in like 10 seconds um, or whatever. But this is the moment that the Rubik's Cube is put in the hand of someone who can solve it. And that someone is a baby in a stable in a little beaten up town called Bethlehem. And throughout his life, Jesus, piece by piece, begins to twist the cube. As he preaches to people, as he baptises people, as he does miracles, the cube starts to spin. And as he dies on the cross and rises again, that's like a significant, that's like a couple of the faces are now showing the right colour. So that means that when we pray the Lord's Prayer like we have, and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's showing us, actually we can see glimpses of what the kingdom of God looks like. 
We can see Jesus has already started to solve the cube. It's not fully sorted yet, but we can see and we can trust in his promise that actually this is going to happen. It's not there yet, but I am doing it. And do you know what? That's the assurance that the angels gave to Mary and to Joseph in our passage. They said, a saviour is going to be born to you. They knew what that meant. They knew that's the point where the Rubik's Cube is going to stop being distorted and it's going to start being solved. And actually, I found that illustration really helpful for me to begin to understand, God, why is it that bad things still happen? Or why is it that you chose to come in such a bizarre way and spring this birth on Mary and Joseph when they really weren't expecting it? Because do you know what happens when you solve a Rubik's Cube? Sometimes you get one side completely solved, but then to solve the next one, you've actually got to twist it again and it messes up the one that you just solved. And you think, oh my goodness, we're going backwards here. What's going on? And actually, certainly from my experience, I've started to see that as we've had disappointment, as I've mentioned, and other things happen in our family, it feels like, oh my goodness, God, what are you doing? And he's going, it's like the cube is rotating. And it's not always the way that we think things are going to happen. And there are consequences to the mess that the world is in, right? But there's a promise that actually one day it will all be made right. And there's a promise that as this cube is being worked out, and sometimes we experience joy, and sometimes we experience pain and disappointment, that actually God sits next to us, and he invites us to be with him as he resolves this cube. And we have the promise that one day it will all be made right and that we can join him in that day. One of the carols, just as we draw in to close, one of the carols that we sang today, one of my favourite carols, a little Tanner Bethlehem has this really famous line. It says, The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The way I see that is like the hopes and fears, all of the things that we're dreaming of, the longings that we have, and the pain that we have. The longings, like the perfect picture of that cube. I long to see that. But also the reality of going, but it looks like a flipping mess at the minute, and I don't know what's going on. All of those things are met in Jesus At his birth, that's the place where those things meet. Where the problem meets the solution. And we are invited into that.